Here's what Ecclesiastes says. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the sun during the few years of their lives. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. There's nothing better for a person than what, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment for to the one who please, who is, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you, brother. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. As you may have guessed, we're in a series in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, that we started last week. Now, last week, Solomon, he introduces himself as the teacher. You could really translate that as the philosophy teacher. And he talked to us about what he called the futility of living life under the sun. In other words, uh, living as if this world is all there is, living your life as if God doesn't exist. And one of the things he did is he described life as a breath or a vapor indicating how short our lives are. He also talked about how elusive life can be. If you try to reach out and grab a breath, right, or grab some smoke and put it in your pocket for later, well, you're going to end up with nothing, right? And he says, that's kind of the way life is. The, the harder you try to grasp life apart from God, the more futile it becomes. Uh, in fact, he argues in chapter one as well, that one of the ways, one of the keys to the enjoyment of life is that you, we have to recognize its brevity. We have to embrace uh, the reality that one day, uh, you know, every one of us in this room are going to die. Now, last week, I played a clip from Groundhog Day. Many of you know Groundhog Day came out in the 90s. This, today, I'm going back into the, even the generation that came before that. I'm going way back into the 80s. And you thought this was a contemporary church, right? Well, wrong. Listen, but the clip I want to show you today uh, really sort of, and we'll come back to that near the end of the message, sort of encapsulates what Solomon said in chapter one with one key detail missing. But this is from a movie called Dead Poets Society. Uh, at the time, it starred uh, Robin Williams, who even today himself has passed away. Right, And so that, again, that just indicates the brevity that we're talking about. This is one of my all-time favorite movie clips. And so we're going to listen to him kind of summarize what Solomon was trying to say to us last week. So check out your screens. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? 
Carpe diem. That sees the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thanks for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. If you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? us last week. Well, sort of. It would be easy to think on a superficial reading of the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon is simply saying, seize the day. You know, hey, eat, drink, be merry because, you know, tomorrow we're all going to die. But today Solomon is going to say something very different than this, and he's going to say something much more profound than this. And he just begins by exploring the futility of looking to things like pleasure, projects, possessions, instead of to God for meaning. And, and by the way, Solomon has immense resources. He's going to go way further down these roads than you and I would be capable of going. And so he goes as deep down these roads as you can possibly go. And uh, we'll talk through some of that. Here's what he said in verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this too was vanity, or this too was empty. It was empty. Uh, now, listen, kind of something you already know, but just about everything you've done today and yesterday and the day before that, you did to make yourself happy. What all of us long and live for is happiness. In fact, the pursuit of happiness, right, especially here in America, we recognize as a God-given right. 
And Blaise Pascal, very famous philosopher, said this about happiness. And this is a striking statement. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever means men use, they all tend toward this end. This is the, mo- this is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Even those who hang themselves. So when Solomon says he's going to test pleasure and enjoy himself, this is what he's talking about. He is saying, look, I just, I, you know, I, I, I did everything I could. I strove to be happy. And, uh, and again, we, we said last week that this word vanity probably means empty. In other words, Solomon said, look, I invested all my time. I got as creative as I could. I invested all of my resources toward this. And it was, it too was elusive. Uh, you know, no matter how happy I might be in one moment, uh, it would fail me in the next moment. And then he explains all the ways he tried to attain it. Uh, in fact, some of these are ways that uh, you and I have been trying in the last even several days. He said, first, I'm going to test pleasure. I'm going to devote all my resources, my time, my creativity to just the enjoyment of life. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to bring in the best wine. He's going to bring in the best comedians. He's going to bring in the best food, the best entertainment. He's going to throw the most lavish party First uh, Kings chapter 4 actually lists the supplies that Solomon would use just for one day uh, of these parties. This is verses 20 through 23. It says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea. They ate and they drank, and there's that word, and they were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provisions for one day, so this is just one of the parties that he would throw, was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal. This is a a vast amount of food. 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fat, fat and fowl. Now, when scholars read this list, they believe that Solomon was literally throwing parties which were attended by between 15 and 20,000 people every single day. That kind of takes backyard barbecue to a whole new level. Amen? I think it does. And then look what he goes on to say in verses 2 and 3. He says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, he was, he's saying I would have just enough wine so that I could still think through this experiment that I was running on human beings and what makes them tick, right? Until I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few or the brief days of their life. So here's what he's saying here. He spared no expense. He brought in unlimited amounts of the best and the finest wines from all over the world. But all along he asked himself, can anything really good or eternal come from this? And his answer is, no, it too was empty, right? I was still trying to find that thing that under the sun or apart from God would make life glorious and livable. 
And so he did that uh, night after night after night. And finally, one morning, he wakes up and he says, you know what? This has gotten predictable. This has gotten old. Um, I'm going to move from partying. I'm going to leave the party scene and I'm going to go to the building and the accomplishment scene. So look at verses four through six. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I just want to pause here. So yesterday, I did a little backyard project that I was really, really proud of. And Solomon would probably look at me and say, hey, I really like what you did with your backyard, but like I'm building parks and forests. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, so his, and my point is his ambition is a lot bigger than just a little backyard project, right? And then he goes on to say, I made myself pools from which to water the forest that I had of growing trees. So uh, by the way, Solomon was also privileged to build the temple, the national temple of Israel that his father David had raised the resources for. And in fact, the temple took Solomon seven years to build. That stood for about 1,500 years, that temple uh, did. That's the temple Jesus referenced in the New Testament. So that's how long that stood. Well, then he took, so it took him seven years to build the temple. It took him 14 years just to build his house. And then he built houses for each. He had 700 wives. He built houses for each of them. So it isn't like he's building a neighborhood. This guy's building subdivisions for his wives. This is an amazing thing, what Solomon did. Um, yeah, he, he just went to incredible lengths to build. So uh, then he moves, he, he moves to accomplishment, right? So think on everything you accomplish, like how you feel on a day when you get everything done on your to-do list and how good that feels. Oh, I got everything done I wanted to do today, right? Um, he says, well, look, I, you know, I built parks, I built gardens, I built lakes, I planted forests. He said, you know, I mean, I just... I just accomplished a lot, more than anyone who had come before me. And then look what he says in verse 7. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So here's what's happening here. He brings in people to attend to his needs 24 hours a day, seven days a week so that he can just devote himself to happiness, just devote himself to sitting back and enjoying all the things that he built, all the forests, all the lakes, all the homes, all the land, all the ranches, all the stuff. He just wants to sit back and just enjoy it all. In fact, he says, look, I had slaves and even my slaves had slaves. I did nothing for myself. Nothing. I just accumulated huge numbers of people who attended to my every need. I had a horse ranch, a cattle ranch, a farm. I had lake houses. And then look at verses eight, verse 8. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers both men and women, and I had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, 
I had money to spare, right? I, I mean, you know, I, I literally lived like a king because I was a king. And so, uh, you know, I, I was able to live any way I wanted. And he says, look, I didn't just download the music. I brought in the bands, right? I bought the bands. And I had, I had them every night of the week, you know, singing the latest favorite, the best and the best. You know, he says, look, I had men singers. I had women singers. What he's saying here is I brought in the best talent the, the best male singers I could from around the world. I brought in the best female singers I could from all around the world. And every night they would sing and they would play at my parties. It would literally be like hiring Taylor Swift to come and do your backyard gig, right? Solomon could do that. And then he says, speaking of women, he says, I had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Now, a concubine is a woman that functioned as, um, you could say, a friend with benefits. Um, uh, a concubine attended to um, every sexual need that, of the man that they were attached to. And so uh, Solomon had, now remember I said earlier, he had 700 wives. He also had 300 concubines. Um, he made Hugh Hefner in his day look like a rookie. That's what I'm saying. So see, when I say Solomon could go further than any of us could go, this is exactly what I mean. He just had uninhibited sexual experiences, one encounter after another. And then look at verse 9. He says, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, but also my wisdom remained with me. In other words, he's saying, I never forgot what I was doing. I always kept my wits about me, thinking this through. So what he says here is, look, I became famous. I was popular. I was, as a king, as the king of Israel, I was known all over the world. When people mentioned the world's wealthiest and most powerful, I made that list. But I never, I didn't get lost in it though. And then he comes back to something he mentioned in verse 8. He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. In other words, any woman I wanted, I took. Any experience I needed to have, I, I had. Uh, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward. In other words, he's saying the, the little bit of pleasure, the feeding, the, sh the fleeting, the short-lived pleasure, that was the only reward that I got from all of that. So he was just unbridled in his pursuit of pleasure. He went after it. He denied himself nothing. He would say this, I had a great time. I really lived large. I mean, the wives, the concubines, the comedians, the bands, the parties, the buildings, the forests, the herds. I mean, I really lived. I really did. But what did I get out of all of it? Well, I got a little bit of pleasure that only lasted until the next high, until the next party, until the next gig, until the next vacation, until the next purchase. It wore off really quickly. And then look what he says in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was empty and a striving after the wind. In other words, it was just like chasing my own tail. 
It really didn't do anything for me or the planet in the end, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, what Solomon is talking about here might be called the law of diminishing returns when it comes to pleasure. And so uh, you go, well, what does that mean? Well, let me show you what it means. So Solomon throws a huge bash on Monday, and it was great. But then he threw the same party again on Tuesday, and it really began to lose a little bit of its luster. So on Wednesday, he really ramped up, pulled out a few things he hadn't pulled out on Monday night. And so that was really good again. But then by Thursday, it just started to feel like, well, you know, we're just kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so on Thursday, it falls a little flat, right? Because it had kind of become predictable and boring. And so he moves from parties to houses. He builds gardens, forests, parks, national parks, whatever, right? And he goes, you know, I built the temple, I built my house, that took twice as long as the temple. Yeah, building's great, but I mean, after a while, that kind of starts to lose its luster too. And then he tries it with women. He did not want for shape, hair color, skin color, eye color. He satisfied every desire. Now, some of us hear me talk like this and we say, can you really talk like this in church? And the answer is the reason we talk about this in church is because this is in the Bible. And I'll tell you something else. If the church does not talk about sex, it will leave all the talk of sex to our culture. The church of God has to talk about sex. Because, because if the church doesn't, our culture will talk about it 24-7. See, and so we have to help people frame that, right? We have to, and by the way, Solomon was a terrible example uh, when it comes to sex. Absolutely horrible. Um, so uh, here's the point, that, and by the way, uh, just so you know, like God, because God created and has ordained every pleasure. So he puts Adam and Eve in a garden and he puts them in that garden naked. I can get behind that. But not only does he do that, then he tells them, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, right? And God knew what they would have to do to do that. He didn't blush. He's fully in the know. He's fully aware. God created that. Now, when my kids were little and they were growing up, they had an annoying habit. At least it was annoying to me. Probably wasn't as annoying to their mother. But if they had a need, they expected either their mother or I to meet that need within a moment's notice. So they would start crying and hollering and fussing. You know, so it was like this. Hey, I want my bottle and I want it now. Change my diapers and change them now. Entertain me, rock me, dance with me. Dance with me now. Read to me. Read to me right now. Re exhaust yourself tending to my ever, every need. They didn't actually say that last part, but that's just what happened, right? Their mother and I exhausted ourselves tending to their every need. Well, guess what? When people grow up, they don't grow out of that. They still expect other people to meet all of their needs. 
And do you know what Solomon would say? Solomon would say, that's foolish. That's like chasing the wind. Don't heap expectations on other people that they cannot possibly stand up under. Don't do that. You've got to look above the sun for that. You've got to look above the sun. You've got to look to God for that. And listen, I want to be clear about something. Pleasure is not the problem here in Ecclesiastes 2. The pursuit of pleasure isn't the problem. He's just saying pleasure makes promises it can't keep. Like, like you have to go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, look, the problem isn't that our desires are too strong. It's that, that, that we're too easily satisfied. In fact, here's what he said. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with sex and ambition and power when infinite wisdom is being offered to us like a child we are far too easily pleased here's what Solomon is lamenting see when sin came into this world human beings the created uh, those of us who've been created by God we uh, Romans 1 says we exchanged seeking after God for meaning and purpose to uh, seeking for meaning and purpose in the things that God has given and the things that God has created so we began in that moment to settle for temporary and fleeting pleasures instead of looking to pleasure and meaning to come to us by the hand of God and so here's the way it works we spend our lives chasing our tails chasing happy trying to feed the hunger and thirst of our souls and it doesn't work it doesn't work see listen Almost every one of us in this room have brought into the philosophy that what we need to make us happy is more of what we already have. And Solomon would say, that's just crazy. You're going to look for, for happiness and just accumulating more of what you already have? So then what's the solution? It's so interesting to me that from the middle of chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 2, God is absent from uh, Solomon's frame of reference. But at the end of chapter 2, he goes back to God. And what he says is, is the light at the end of the tunnel. This is when, when the sun's going to begin to shine on us and we're really going to begin to understand things. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 through 26. There's nothing better for a person than to eat, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his labor. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have any enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him. Now, we're going to underline that word. We're going to come back to that. The one who pleases God, what happens? God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Now, what's so fascinating to me is he mentions God three times in just these couple of verses, and the emphasis is always on what God gives. What God gives. And listen, here's what he's saying if you strive, if you toil for happiness, 
In other words, if your goal is to be a happy person and you chase after that, it will elude you. In fact, the more you try to be happy, the less happy you will be. But if you please God, he will give it to you. Not because you chased after it, not because you toiled after it, but just as a gift. See, we like to think that in America, the pursuit of happiness is a right to which God would shake his head and say, no, it's a gift. It's something I give. It's something that comes from my hand. See? Here's what Solomon is saying that's so profound. Everything I've said to this morning is meant to move up to this sentence, this line, this conclusion. Friends, if you see life as gain or life as toil, you will rarely enjoy it. But if you see your life as a gift from God, you will cherish it every single day because your life is a gift it is not meant just for gain it's meant for more than that because God has placed you here and put you here you know at the beginning of this and, oh, and by the way when you know that things like happiness and pleasure are a gift from God a gift of knowing Jesus here's what's so amazing then your pleasure doesn't exist for itself anymore it's not the end game it's in the back seat but it's not driving your car See, and this is so incredible to me. Um, happiness and pleasure come by God's hand. Now, at the beginning of this message, we played a clip from the Dead Poets Society, which kind of popularized this phrase, seize the day. But that is not what Solomon is saying. In fact, in early in Ecclesiastes 2, that is exactly what Solomon is arguing is foolish. In other words, we, read a, we hear a phrase like seize the day, and here's what that implies to us. We think that means that we have to go out and make things happen and that we have to cram as much into our day as we possibly can, right? But it's all on us. That is not. Solomon said, no, no, no. If that's what you understand me to be saying, that's foolish. But here's what's so amazing. There's another way to translate that phrase. See, when it was popularized in the 80s by that movie, Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, um, th that word seize is uh, highly debated. And in fact, um, uh, a lot of people argue that it's been mistranslated, that the, the better way to translate it in the Greek literature would be not seize the day, but pluck the day, pluck the day, as in someone that might stop a chariot and bend down to pick up a flower or pick up a piece of fruit and really buy into that fruit and thoroughly enjoy it. Because here's the thing, unless God grows a flower, unless God gives fruit, you can't enjoy it. See, pluck the day, plucking the day looks to God to provide those opportunities all throughout the day 
for you and I to enjoy life. And so far from meaning I got to make stuff happen and I got to cram as much as I can into my life, what if it just means no? I have to savor the moments that God gives me. I have to savor the things that God brings into my life because all of my life is one big, long, continuous gift from God. And the more you see it as a gift, the more that you will treasure it. You'll just treasure it. And notice what else God gives. We're told here that Solomon says he gives knowledge and wisdom and joy. So here you have Solomon saying, hey, I worked for it. I went after it. I went after wisdom. I did the greatest of all human experiments. I tried to be wise, but it was useless. But God will give wisdom. God is the one who gives wisdom. He's the one who gives knowledge. He's the one who gives joy. But notice, too, that he only gives those things to the one who, who pleases him. How do you do that? Well, in the chapters to come, in Ecclesiastes chapters 3 through 12, he's going to tell us exactly what kind of person pleases God. And I'm going to, do a spo- I'm going to spoil it for you. Here's what he's going to say. He's saying that the man or woman that pleases God does two things and only two things really, really well. The person who pleases God knows how to live their life in right relationship to God. That's one. And then the second thing is that the person who pleases God knows how to live in right and humble relationships with other people. That's what the teacher is going to say. The man or woman that pleases God lives rightly with God and lives rightly with other people. That's what the teacher says. And then you know what happens thousands of years later? Another teacher comes along. And that teacher one day is asked a question. Hey, what are the two things? What, like, what's the most important thing that people can do in the law of the Old Testament? And, and that teacher said this same message. He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you should love your neighbor as you do yourself. He agreed. He looked back. He looked back at what Solomon was saying in the book of Ecclesiastes and essentially echoed that. He would say, listen, there's nothing, Jesus said this, there's nothing more important than to love God and to love people. And here's the amazing thing. This teacher, this teacher Jesus, he is still taking applications for students. He's still asking people to follow him, you know. So what would it look like for you and I to get more serious this week about pleasing God? What next step might you have to take if you wanted to do that? Maybe you've been here at SCC for a few months and you've never gotten into a group, never gotten into community. Well, maybe that's the step that you need to take this week. Maybe, uh, you know, you've been attending here, but you've really never had a lifestyle of service. You, you you know, you're kind of, you've been here for you and what it can do for you. 
And for every Christ follower of Jesus, there comes a point where we have to put a towel over our arm and go, well, God, you're not just here for me. I'm here for you. And that means I'm here to serve other people. So maybe you need to step into a service opportunity, a ministry. Listen, we're doing incredible things in our children's ministry right now. We were just able to uh, separate those. We actually want to go to where we can do ones and twos, threes and fours, uh, and then uh, five and six, we, we went, or K1, sorry, two, three, and then uh, four, five. Um, but, but we need volunteers for that. We need people who are willing to serve uh, the children you know, of, of our church, right? Maybe, uh, maybe you're here. And you've never, uh, you've never invested financially in the work that God is doing here. And God will call you to start. You know, I mean, Solomon would say, look, at a certain point, you know, you just, you just replay stuff. You just, you're always replaying. And so why not do something that's going to matter for eternity rather than something that's fleeting and something that lacks permanence, Right? And then finally, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you're here and you've been attending SCC and you know for the first time, you just realized it today, it just hit you out of nowhere. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've been living your life under the sun as if this world was all there was. And you've been living your whole life as if God himself didn't even exist. And maybe this is the day that you change that. And you invite Jesus to become your teacher. And you volunteer yourself to be his student. Maybe that would be pleasing. But I'm going to ask you one more time. What next step do you need to take for your life to become more pleasing to God? Let me pray for you. Let's everybody bow. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful you, you give, and you give, and you give, and you give. You have given us life. You have given us your son. You've given us salvation, and in him you've given us eternity. You've given us your Holy Spirit to live within us, to lead us, and to guide us. You've given us our possessions. You've given us our days. You've just given and given and given. And so today, just as your people, we just give you thanks. And God, I just ask that for this church and these people, that we would grow in seeing life, not as a gain, not something to be toiled after, but God, something to be enjoyed as a gift. And so God, we thank you for that gift today. Every good thing that we have comes by your mighty hand. And so we give you thanks and praise. God, I don't know what that next step is, but um, God, I just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would prompt each person in this room supernaturally and whatever that next step needs to be right in this moment. And would you give us ears to hear and would you give us eyes to see that we might do what the Spirit would do that would help us to live our life more pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, there are some here today that the first step they need to take is just to invite you to be their teacher, to invite you to be their Lord and their Savior, to be their forgiver and their leader. They may need to invite you to come into their life 
and make them the kind of person, not that they want to become, but the kind of person, God, that you want them to become. God, whatever next step we need, help us take it and help us see more and more and more that life is not simply for gain, but that it's a gift. I ask and I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. Listen, if you can stick